Okay, welcome to chapter five of Begin to Code with JavaScript, a book in chapters, really, by Rob Miles. You can find all the example code for this chapter in www.begintocodewithjavascript.com and uh, you can also find links there to the podcast and other bits and pieces and the videos which accompany this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful tome and which is taking shape even as I speak. So, chapter five is called Making Decisions in Programs. <laughs> I used to be indecisive, but now I'm not so sure. Anywho, that's not even funny. So, what you will learn. Now, I've described a computer as a sausage machine in that stuff goes in we do things with that stuff, and then stuff comes out. This is a great way to think about computers, but a computer does a lot more than just stuff going in. A sausage machine will take anything and try and make a sausage with it, whereas a computer can respond to inputs in different ways. And in this chapter, you'll learn how to make your programs respond to different inputs. You'll also learn the responsibility that comes with making the computer work in this way, because you must make sure that the decisions your computer programs make <laughs> are sensible. Uh, fine, yes, always good. So, Boolean thinking. Ooh, right. In Chapter 4, you learn that programs use variables to represent different types of data. I like to think that you will forever associate the number of hairs on your head with whole numbers and the average length of your hair with floating point numbers, which is quite nice and kind of makes sense. Now it's time to be another way of looking at data values, which is called Boolean. Data is Boolean only have one of two values, true or false. You could use a Boolean value to represent whether a, whether a person has any hair or not. True if it's <laughs> true if they're hairy, false if they're shiny. Um, you could just use the words hairy and shiny, but true and false works better from a computer's perspective. Okay, Boolean values in JavaScript. Now, a program can create variables that can hold Boolean values. As with other JavaScript types, JavaScript figures out the type of variable from the context in which it's used. If I have a variable called, it is time to get up, which it always seems to be in my life, I could make that equal to the value true. And if I do that, what that means is that I now have a variable which JavaScript says has got a Boolean value in it. Now, in my world, it seems it is always time to get up. If I get allowed to stay in bed one magical morning, then I could make a statement that said it is time to get up equals false. Now, the words true and false are keywords. These are words that are built into JavaScript, and there are 63 different keywords. You'll have to learn all of them. <laughs> no, you won't. You just have to use them in the right place. Um, you've seen one of them already. Function is a keyword. Uh, and when JavaScript sees the keywords true or false, it's thinking Boolean straight away. Now, JavaScript also regards other values in terms of their truthy or falsiness. Uh, values are regarded as truthy unless they are zero or an empty string. Things like not a number, this NAN thing we've seen when we do silly sums, uh, are falsy, uh, as is undefined. So we can do a little code analysis now which is a, a cue for me to rush off and grab my screencasting machine so I can step you through some Boolean stuff. So I'm going to rush off and do that. You go and find the video. It's in the same folder as this podcast, or a link to it is there. So you go have a look at that, and then come back uh, even knowledgeabler, knowledgeabler <laughs> than you were last time, and we'll take it from there.
Okay, we're back. And I um, <laughs> hope you found that useful. Basically, we've got this idea of truth and falseness now, uh, which we can start to use in our programs to control what they do. Now, in Chapter 3, we created a clock that displayed the time. And the program in Chapter 3 used a thing called the date object that JavaScript provides to get the current date and time for our programs. You make a new date instance, maybe you call it current date, and then you can say get hours, and it'll get you the hours value, or get minutes to get the minutes, and get seconds to get the seconds. Now, close your eye. Now, don't, if you don't, don't do this if you're driving. <laughs> Imagine that you've got some code that sets a variable called hours to the value of get hours from your current date, and one that gets mins from the get minutes, and sex that gets one, S-E-C-S, that is, that gets one from the get seconds value. So we've now got three variables that contain the current time. What I want to do is use those variables to try and make some kind of alarm clock behavior that will trigger an alarm if we have to get up uh, in the morning. And to do that, we will be using Boolean expressions. See what I did there? Oh, oh getting the hang of this. Okay, so we've seen that in JavaScript, expressions are made up of operators that define the operation and operands, which define the operator's Sorry, the operands, the things being processed. Now, figure there's a figure in the book that shows a calculation, which is one of our first ever expressions. And it shows two operands, both the value 2, turns out. And in the middle is an operator, which is the character plus. And we know that the plus operator tells the JavaScript system, take the two things each side of me, add them together, and give me the result. So 2 plus 2 will give the result 4, which is quite good and kind of what you want. If you want to, you can replace that arithmetic operator with a comparison operator, like, for example, greater than, which is a bit like a right-hand pointing arrow or half a chevron, whatever. You can find it on the keyboard. It lurks around the bottom right-hand side next door to M and N around there. Uh, and the idea is that this means take the two things each side of this operator and compare them. And if the greater than um, symbol is being used, it means if the thing on the left is greater than the thing on the right, then we have a result of true. And in the book, in figure 5.2, no less, we have hours greater than 6, which, if you say it, actually explains exactly what's going on. So here's a pro tip. Explain what the program does to yourself by reading it out and that can sometimes help you understand what's, ha what's happening here. So the idea is we have these special operators. They don't produce results which are numbers, like a, a plus will produce a, a sum result. They do produce results which are Boolean. They're either true or false. Hours is greater than 6. Can't produce a number as a result. It has to produce a logical result, which in this case would be, well, whatever. Depends on what's in hours, but the idea is that now we've got this thing we can use to test stuff, and then in a few uh, few uh, pages' time, we'll use that to control what our program actually does. So here we go. Greater than's one of them, but there are lots of other ones as well. There's a less than, which is the little arrow pointing the other way. It looks a bit like an L on its side. There is greater than or equal to, which is two characters. Some operators are more than one character, but that's fine. That, that can be handled by JavaScript Notable at all. So the greater than or equal to means, means what it says. If it's if hours is greater than or equal to 6, that means it would fire at 6 o'clock, whereas greater than would have to fire at 7. We have a less than or equals. We have an equals equals, which is the comparison. That basically says if hours equals equals 6 would mean at 6 a.m. 
and, and no other time. And not equals. There's a convention in JavaScript that the exclamation mark or shriek, um, if you're American, um, is an inverter. So not equals is exclamation mark equals. And that means if the two things are different, um, we're going to get a truth. Um, so um, they're all available to be used between operands to produce results which are either true or false. So if I have a statement that says it is time to get up equals hours greater than six, that means that it is time to get up will either contain true or false. And, and this is the kicker. The value it gets in there depends entirely on what hours has got in it. So this is how we would get our al alarm behavior to work. If my alarm is going to go off after six o'clock, at seven o'clock or whatever, then I would use the greater than in this context to make it go. And there's a little tiny code explained analysis in the book, which I'll go through uh, by reading it out this time. And then we'll do a bigger one later, which is all fun of stuff. So one equals one, one equals equals one will result in true because one one is if that didn't result in true then we'd have big problems and the same with a string i can compare two strings for equality so string rob equals rob remember it has to be exactly matching in that if rob starts with a little r then that'll be different from rob starts with a big r if that makes sense um, and so we can use these things to produce results which are true or false depending on the numbers we give them and we can use the less than operator to compare things which are arith which are um, alphabetically different. So if I've got two strings, one that contains Alice and one that contains the string Brian, then Alice is less than Brian will be true because Alice comes before Brian in the alphabet. So if you want to use this to actually compare things uh, from a string point of view, an alphabetic point of view, then JavaScript has got you covered. It just works. So now we move on to <laughs> the bits I always quite like. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Um, equality and floating point values. Now, this is building on a thing we saw in Chapter 4 when we discovered that a floating point number is sometimes only an approximation of a real number value our program is using. In other words, some numbers are not stored precisely. Boo! Uh, and this is because of how computers work and because of the universe. So you can blame the universe for this, along with lots of other things you might not agree with. Uh, and so uh, this can lead to trouble if you compare things that are supposed to be accurate. Because if you remember in Chapter 3, I added point 0.1 and point 0.2 and got a number which was not point 0.3. It was point, uh, it, no. <laughs> Point three, no, 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 four, uh, and we 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 laughed about it uh, and and noted that that means that yeah, these things aren't as good as you might think they should be, uh, but it does mean that in the world of boolean, where it has to be exactly equal, you have a problem. So if I'm saying x equals y, uh, and x is 0.3, uh, and y has been made out of 0.1 plus 0.2, which we know is a different number different by a tiny amount, but still different, then as far as JavaScript is concerned, those two values are different. Golden rule, as far as Rob is concerned, is never use uh, the equality operator to compare to real numbers or floating point values, uh, because it will sometimes end in tears. Less than and greater than, they're absolutely fine. If you really want to compare two numbers to see if they're, uh, they're the same, I would subtract them and then see how big the difference is uh, to see if there's a, a sort of a tolerance you can use to sort of say if it's within so many 
thinking um, <laughs> so so much it's the same i regard it as the same and this is called clamping sometimes i believe uh, but the idea is that um, you can use this in situation i tend very it's very rarely i'll compare floating point values but the good news is that javascript gives us uh, date values which are integers and that means that we're we're fine. Uh, they're never going to have any problems with those. So that's rather good. And so we can now move on to logical, logical operators. operators. Now, at the moment, I've got a slight problem in that I get up at half past seven. That's a time when my life must begin. So I can say hours greater than six. That's the seven o'clock start sorted out because when hours hit seven, uh, that'll trigger it. But that will go off at seven o'clock, not 7.30. So I have to find a way of combining or making something which will allow me to trigger when we're after half past seven. Uh, and it turns out that there are some logical operators you can use to combine two logical values to see whether or not they are both true or one of them's true or, or one of them is not the other. Uh, and these are ampersand, ampersand, which means and, uh, and vertical bar, vertical bar, which doesn't trip off the tongue at all. The vertical bar lurks around your keyboard, either left-hand shift key near the Z, um, and that's like the, the not, uh, sorry, the, uh, the or, I apologize, that's the or. Not is the shriek, isn't it? How can I get these things wrong? Uh, and so uh, you can use the shriek to invert a Boolean value. Uh, you can just say shriek Fred, and that is the reverse of what, so if Fred is true, that means false, and if Fred is false, that means true. Um, and you can use ampersand, ampersand to mean X and Y. Uh, and vertical bar, vertical bar to mean or, as in X or Y. Uh, and these are ways we can say, what I want to do, you see, is say, if it's after six, uh, if it's seven o'clock and it's after 29 minutes past, sound the alarm. Uh, and that's what we'll be doing in the next code analysis. So buckle up for that. Go off and find this, the screenshot thingy bob uh, and then come back after you've done that it's all in the link to this podcast remember so just go and have a look go 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 now go smiling <laughs> thank you okay so we've got some javascript smarts now that let us combine things in a logical kind of a way we can use and and or uh, and the one we're looking at at the moment is am, because we wanted to say things like if it's uh, time to get up, if the hours is bigger than six and the minutes is bigger than 29, then sound the alarm because we're going to look, we're going to make a web page that you go to it and it tells you if it's time to get up or not. So rather you wake up, <laughs> you go to the page. Yeah, I know, but it's an example. So just go with it. Okay. So the idea is I have a variable called it is time to get up, which we've seen before, and it's equal to hours is greater than six and minutes is bigger than 29 and that means that at 29 minutes past seven it will not go off but at half past seven it will magic you think we've sorted it now what you should do as a programmer as soon as you have made something is try and figure out how on earth you would test it and the way you would test a, a logical thing like this is give it some numbers and see what color smoke we get now in the book there's a table of hour and minute values, and it basically says if the hour is six and the minute is zero, I should have an output of false because it's not time to get up. So I take my little test, hours bigger than six and minutes bigger than 29, and I feed six in and I get no output. I get a false because it's going to come out false. That's a win. Now look at 729 
and I find that yes, that will also fail because the minutes are not bigger than 29. 7.30, on the other hand, ring-a-ding-ding, the alarm goes off because 7 is bigger than 6 and 30 is bigger than 29. So, yeah, fine. However, wind time forward to 8 o'clock and my alarm breaks because at 8 o'clock the hours is 8, fine, but the minutes is now zero. Boo! So at that point, my and fails. So my alarm would, would sound quite happily up to 8 o'clock. But beyond that, it would shut down. It would then only start sounding at 8.29. Uh, that's because of, of this simplicity. The, the test is basically too simple. We can't just check the hour and the minutes and have it work. If you look in the book, I improve matters by saying hours bigger than 7 or hours equals seven and minutes bigger than 29. I have to have two tests, one to get me up to the hour, which is the uh, uh, big equals seven and bigger than 29, and one to get me beyond that, which is uh, greater than seven. Uh, if you are a bit confused by this, then that's absolutely fine and completely understandable. Um, the best way to deal with this is, I think, to read it out slowly in English. Look at the hieroglyphics. Um, if they're written on the floor, they're lowerglyphics. <laughs> That's totally distracted and removed totally your train of thought, which I apologise for, but I'm going to keep going anyway. Um, you've got things like, you, if you know what the greater than looks like and the all looks like and the and looks like, then you can read it out in English loudly. Uh, on a bus works really well, I find. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Don't read it out on a bus, especially if you're the driver. Um, and the idea is that at that point, it'll make sense. So if I say hours, if hours is more than seven or hours equals seven and minutes is bigger than 29, then you start getting a feel for why I'm doing the tests I'm doing. So the key to understanding logical stuff like this, in my experience, is to read it out in English. Uh, and uh, ignore the fact that you have these strange little symbols uh, and vertical bars around the place and double ampersands. They have meaning, uh, but only in terms of telling you whether it's an or or an and or greater than or whatever. So go for the English, write it out in English if you like, and then compile uh, from English into the JavaScript. Uh, that's a good trick too for solving the problem. I want to go to the pub if Fred's there and Jim's there, but not if Nigel's there. Uh, I'm not sure what's wrong with Nigel, but can you see where I'm going? If you write it all out like that, you could write a piece of code that would make those decisions based on the operators and operands that you know, know you can work with. So with all that, we now know how to make things that are true or false to control what our program does. Now we need the construction which will allow us to control our program, which brings us wonderfully on to the next section, which is the, the if construction. So... We want a program that will display a message telling me it's time to get out of bed. Uh, and the Boolean value we've just spent ages creating is a really good way to do that. So look at the F <laughs> construction in figure 5.3. If you can't see figure 5.3, and why should you? It's the word if, which is a keyword, followed by an open bracket, followed by a thing called a condition, which can be true or false. And any logical condition could go here. The word true could go here. The word false could go here. It'd be a bit boring 
thing as the word false went there because nothing would ever happen. But that's followed by a close bracket or close parenthesis if, if you're uh, uh, of that persuasion, followed by a statement, followed by a semicolon. The way it works is if the condition is true, the statement is performed. If Fred and Jim are going to the pub, I'll go to the pub. If it is time to get up, then do this statement, sound the alarm, put an alert up, display a message. And so the idea is I can say things like, if it is time to get up, alert, it is time to get up. And if you run that program, it's in uh, it's in the uh, examples in chapter 5001, alarm, alert. If you run that program after 7.30, you will get an alert. If you don't run it, if you run it earlier than that, you can stay in bed. <laughs> so... I've just got this vision of getting setting the alarm at quarter past seven so they can go and, go and run this program and see it not show an alarm because it isn't time to get up yet. If you have a look at the code, the listing of the program is all on there as well. Then you can modify the greater than seven to greater than five or four or ten or whatever time to get up. But the, the principle is the same. We have this if condition, which is controlling the execution of a single statement in my program to make it do something if the condition is true. Now, this is the intelligence that you find in programs. They're usually done on the basis of a condition, which is true or false, and then a piece of code that's obeyed if it is true. Uh, in the program, uh, in the listing in the book, you can see that uh, I don't need to use a variable within as the condition. I can actually put the expression that works things out. So in the book, you can see if open bracket hours is bigger than seven or hours equals seven and minutes is greater than 29, the whole that bit, close bracket, then the alert. So you don't need to have these intermediate variables. But I wanted you to think before we went into uh, if statements of the idea of a logical value as being a thing you can juggle with and fiddle with and do stuff with in just the same way we have numbers and strings. And with that, we'll move on to the next part, which is adding an else part. Okay, so many programs want to perform a thing if a condition is true and another one if the condition is false. Now you could have two if statements, one with the condition true and one flipping it into the reverse. That would be perfectly legal JavaScript and would work. But you can also bolt on the end of an if condition an else element. And the else element is a statement that's performed if the condition is false. So in the code I've got, uh, if it is time to get up, then you do the alert. Else, you do an alert that says, you can stay in bed. Um, and uh, whichever one is obeyed is actually controlled by the um, condition. So either one statement or the other uh, will be performed. And and that's that's effectively, you don't need to have, here we go. Here are some code analysis bits and pieces we can do in the form of questions and answers. So code analysis, if constructions. Now the question, must an if statement have an else part? No, you don't need them. They can be useful sometimes to keep the program simple, but there's no need to have an else part if you have no need for it in your code. Question, what happens if a condition is never true, if false? Answer, if it's never true, it never gets to run. JavaScript doesn't really care. It, it might. Some languages raise one eyebrow in a quizzical kind of way, mm -hmm. uh, which indicates that they've spotted something that might never happen. But JavaScript doesn't cause an error if you do that. It, it just goes fine and, and never runs that code. 
Um, if you look at the source code in my book, you'll find that I indent code controlled by conditions by a few spaces as I lay it out on the page. And the reason for this is it helps me read the code. If I just have it all down the left-hand margin jammed up against it, that's not going to play very well in terms of understanding what's going on. So I tend to indent things. All programmers do. Visual Studio does. So if you start, if you start typing in a condition, then Visual Studio Code will actually indent lines for you automatically as you type the program in because it knows about this convention and companies have conventions about how things are laid out which include things like this so it makes it super obvious what's going on so you should always indent code if you can okay well if you can you can so you should always invent code uh, and the if you can bit was uh, a bit bit for bit bit species but not required really okay so moving on creating blocks of statements now, the if condition controls the execution of a single statement. However, sometimes you might want to perform lots of statements if a condition is true. For example, I might want to play an alarm sound and display a message when it's time to get up. Now, to do this, the program needs to control multiple statements from a single condition, and you can write code for a task like this by creating a block of statements. Now, a block of statements in JavaScript is a sequence of JavaScript statements enclosed in a pair of curly braces or parentheses. Um, and uh, we've seen these uh, in uh, programs because all the functions that we've looked at in our JavaScript are actually blocks of code enclosed in, you've guessed it, curly brackets or, or, or these uh, uh, curly braces. Uh, and uh, you can put these in to lump code together. So I can have in the code in the book, you can see that I've got it. If it's time to get up, open curly bracket, play an alarm sound, and then set a message else and in the else one, it's interesting because I've only got one statement. I don't play the alarm if you can stay in bed. That would be a bit cruel. Um, but I do display a message. But that's one statement. I don't need the curly brackets. I put them in anyway because I think that makes it clearer about what's going on. By the way, my alarm clock, which you can find on uh, in example three, alarm alert with sound block, uses the everything sound <laughs> as an alarm which is probably a bit harsh because it goes off like a kind of explosion in the sound effect factory. Um, and you should hear that at least once in your life, but not every morning at half past seven. Okay, so on to the next bit. Use decisions to make an application. Okay, now this is kind of like a, a, scenario, <laughs> a scenario. Um, we're going to try making a bit of code for a customer. And the customer has a desire to have something and he just happens to own a theme park because you live in a very rich neighborhood and the next door neighbor on one side he owns a petrochemical company and this side he owns a theme park and he has five rides on his theme park uh, the scenic river cruise the carnival adventure the jungle at the carnival sorry thought again the carnival carousel sorry the jungle adventure water splash uh, the downhill mountain run and this final ride, a super scary roller coaster called the Regurgitator, which is <coughs> probably what it does to you. Now, each of these rides has different age requirements. Anyone can go on the scenic river cruise, have to be at least three to go on the carnival carousel, at least six for the adventure water splash, at least 12 for the mountain run, and for the Regurgitator. You've got to be at least 12, but you can't be older than 70 because it might kill you. So it's a it's a proper job, this. Um, and so what he wants is a little program or something he can put around the park where customers can type in their, the ride they want to go on 
and their age and have a little check. So they press a button and up comes, you can go on the cruise or you can go on the downhill run or I'm sorry, you're too young for the rigor. You're too young for the regurgitator. You could buy t-shirts that said that. <laughs> too young. <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't want to wear such a thing. Anyway, I digress. But we have an idea of an interface for a program that we actually want to have built on these offering up some free tickets to the park for us if we write this. So ideally, we'll knock this thing out and then go on the regurgitator and make ourselves very ill or something. But the the book has a picture of the screenshot and it's what you would think. It looks remarkably like the adding program, except that rather than adding two numbers together, it takes the numbers in and makes a decision based on their values. There is a programmer's point here though, and it's a good one, so here we go. Programmer's point. Design the user interface with the customer. Now you might think that this kind of user interface is simple to design and that the customer will have no strong opinions about how it looks and works. I have found this to be wrong. The customer has no strong opinions until you show them something, at which point they say, well, that color's not what I wanted, and that text should be over there. And rather than asking for blah, could you ask for blah instead? And oh, if we have the menu, this way it would time with my blah blah and then off you go and suddenly you have to do it all again which i'm not a fan of um and so what you should do is you should work on a, this as a kind of collaboration between you and the customer to design a thing that which you both like from the start it might still need some changes and tweaks down the track but at least your starting point will be a good one so having done that you then go on to build the user interface now we're going to make a web page for this and a style sheet. And in chapter three, we've, we've figured out that actually having a separate style sheet and web page is a good thing to do because it actually separate of concerns. One guy's a good designer, one guy's a good programmer, and the two of you can work on your parts and then keep on moving forward. There is a, a very good school of thoughts too that says you should separate out the JavaScript code. So we now have three files. The HTML web page that will have the application structure in it. We have the style sheet that tells us what it looks like and, and how things are colored and uh, fonts and whatnot. And we have a third file that contains the JavaScript source code that actually contains the brains of the operation, the bit that makes it work. And you can install this very easily. You can add a, a script uh, element to your head, which says the source of the script is themepart.js in this case, which is a file containing a JavaScript program, and off we go. Put it in the HTML, and now I've got three separate files, and I can work on them independently. And that's a good thing to do. Uh, and so we'll be doing that pretty much from, from now on. The If you look online, you can find the, the code. You can look in the book, you can find the code. Uh, it's just a web page that contains these are the rides we have, which one do you want to go on, enter a number between one and five. The actual rides are given as an ordered list which is numbered automatically for us by html that's kind of cute uh, and having done that we then have our style sheet which there's another cunning thing which i find really useful i've got a class for every single type of element on the screen so i have a class for the menu text i have a class for the ride list i have a class for the heading the big bold heading for the theme park, I have a class for the input, I have a class for the yes you can go on the ride, and a class for the no you can't go on. Remember, a class is a collection of style properties. So I can say I want to use uh, Helvetica style font, I want you to be black or green or red, and this size. So classes set out style in this context, but 
what I have is I have a whole bunch of them that I want to have share some certain elements. So I want to be able to sort of say all the menus, the buttons, the inputs, the yes, the no, and whatnot. They'll want to be in Arial font. So I can make a class description in my style sheet, which has got a list of classes on top and says, all these classes, give them this, make them all Arial, make them all 2M size, make them all black. And then underneath that, I can have little modifications for the other elements of the classes that I want to make unique to that class. For example, menu yes, that should be in green and menu no, that should be in red. So I can pick up the overall settings from a collection shared across a whole bunch of different classes and then customize them. It's a bit hard to explain in English, but the actual image in the, in the text uh, looks quite sensible. But the idea is that if the customer says, mm, don't really like the use of Helvetica. I want to use something else for the font for all the menus. You change it once, bang, and it changes for all of the things. The red and the green and the size and whatnot are all picked up on a per class basis, but I can set general classes as well. It's a good trick. It makes it much easier to, to structure your, your classes that decide that the layout of your program and that's absolutely fine. Another thing which we do in the style sheet is we actually give some of our text shadows. You can put shadows on things which is kind of funky and makes them look three-dimensional. Um, that's worth a look at and you can have a look in the book to find out how to do that. So now we've got to that uh, stage we can think in terms of adding the code now, we need code because that's the bit in the third file, the JavaScript file. Now, this is going to have a first part that's very, very similar to what we had in our adding machine all those all those episodes ago, which took in two numbers and added them together. This program takes in two numbers and then has a whole bunch of conditions that decide whether or not you can go on particular rides based on the age you have said you are. So we've got get in the age, get in the age uh, uh, ride number, and... Uh, We've got a piece of code that says if the ride number is equal to one or if ride number equals equals one, that means scenic river cruise. Anyone can go on that. So I can set the inner text of my result to yes, you can go on a river cruise. And another trick which you may not have seen before, you can set the class for a particular element to a given class name. Set it to menu. Yes, it turns green and says, yes, you can go on the ride. If we then move on to ride number two, on ride number two, we... Um, we have, uh, if you pick ride number two, your age must be bigger than three. So my test is if ride number two is selected, I have a second if condition inside the block of code controlled by the ride number, which says, is your age less than three? If it is, I'm going to say no. I'm going to set your inner text to, you are too young, you can't go on it. It'll turn red using the class uh, menu no, which is a, a class which has got a red foreground color. And I have an else part to this because if they are not less than three, they can go on the ride. Um, again, it actually makes really good sense if you read it out loud to yourself or someone. Um, if you see the symbols on the page, then maybe they'll look a bit confusing, but reading it out loud will make perfect sense. And once you've got the carnival carousel, um, which has an age of, of three, you can then use that template for the other rides as well, including Jungle Adventure Water Splash, which is an age of six, and also the... Uh, um the final ride the uh what's it called what's it i should know this what's it called desperately looking up, up the text here the third one's called the downhill mountain run uh, and that has an age of 12. so for those it's actually quite easy we just use the same piece of code and we change the number but for ride number five 
The Regurgitator. That sounds great. Maybe a bit. Just like The Regurgitator. That sounds really rubbish. Uh, <laughs> we have to handle the fact that if you're between 12 and 70, you're okay. But if you're younger than 12 or older than 70, you can't go on it. So I have two tests in sequence. The first test says, are you less than 12? The answer is yes, you can't go on it. Else, are you bigger than 70? If you're bigger than 70, you're too old, so you still can't go on it. If neither of those two triggers fire, then yep, there's an else part that says you can go on the regurgitator and make sure you have fun. Take a look at the code in the book. I'm combining things to get the effect that I want, and I have to do two tests. I have to say, is your age less than 12? If it is, you can't go on this right. If it is less than 12, it might still be bigger than 70. So I need a second test to say, okay, are you more than 70? If you are, sorry, you still you can't go on the right for that reason. Otherwise, you can go on the road. Uh, there is one other thing I'll mention at this point before we uh, bring to the end of this stuff. The switch construction. Now, if you look at the code for the ride selector, you'll find a whole bunch of if conditions, which is fine and will work, and the customer will be very happy to have that. But it is a bit of a pain to write. The JavaScript language recognizes this and has a construction called a switch. Now, this is not here to make things possible that you couldn't do any other way. This is here to make life easier. And a switch is given a control value, in this case the ride number, and contains a bunch of cases. And each case matches a particular value of the control variable. So we have a case for one, a case for two, a case for three, four, and five. And so each of these then, each of these cases then contains the code to perform the behavior for that particular ride. And when the case is finished, it has a keyword we haven't seen before called break, uh, which says, that's all for this case. End the switch block. Carry on. Um, so three new keywords you haven't seen before. Switch, which means I'm starting a switch construction. Uh, case, which means match this case to the control value, which um, is for this particular piece of code. And break, which means I am done with this code. Uh, go on to the next statement. Um, it actually makes a lot of sense when you see it on paper. So go into the book and take a look. Um, you can use switch with strings and integers. If you look in chapter five, making decisions in programs, chapter five, switch theme park ride selector, then you can find the code in action down there. It can be a convenient way of picking an option. And it can also have another keyword, a default selector, which you can use to pick a particular behavior um, which doesn't match any of the numbers. So if you had a command number, a right number that was minus 99 because someone was playing around with the program, then the default option could be used to put a message up saying, I didn't understand that combination of rides and ages, please try again. Uh, so that will be a good way to do that. And the other thing about switches, which is worth knowing, is that cases can stack up. So I've got an example in the book of a command which could be delete, erase, print, or output, or whatever. And the words delete, del, or erase all match a single behavior in my switch statement. Uh, and uh, it's actually quite a nice way to structure your program. You don't have to use it, but if, if you do, then uh, it makes your code a bit easier. But you have to be aware of what could go wrong. Missing breaks in switches can cause mayhem, it says here. 
We have this behavior in JavaScript where you can lump cases together, which is useful, except for the fact it means that if you miss the break off a case, as is in the example, where there's no break between case one, which is Scenic River, and case two, which is Carnival Carousel, then the program just careers through the end of case one into case two. So the symptoms of this error would be that the user would never see the information for Scenic River Cruise. If you type in, if you type in ride number one, you'll get told about Carnival Carousel which you might not be expecting. Now, this is um, the way that switches work. Uh, bugs like this will cause your programs to mostly work, which means that uh, <laughs> unless you test it with all the data that might prove it doesn't work, you're going to have problems. And so you should be very careful if you switch to make sure that breaks are in the right place because you will not get any errors. Some languages will not allow this drop-through behavior. But JavaScript does, and you need to be very, very mindful of that. So that's that. And now we're going to move on to uh, make, make something, something happen, happen, which is improve the ride selector. Now, we have that in Chapter 5, Example Files. You could make a really good one, though. Uh, the one that's in there doesn't actually check the input range values at all. So if you do put in silly ages or silly ride numbers, it just does nothing. You could improve on that a lot. You could also add some pictures and some sound effects uh, which could play when people select particular rides. That might be a nice thing to do too. Go nuts, have fun. Send me the best ones, I'd love to see them. Okay, next bit, fortune teller. Now, now we can use decisions, we can use randomness to get interesting behaviors as well. Now, math.random we've seen before, that gives us the value between naught and one. I can use that with greater than. So if the random number is bigger than 0.5, that's like a 50-50 coin toss thing. I can make programs that toss coins and things, or I can make a fortune teller. And the fortune teller just takes things like uh, tall, short, blonde, or dark, or whatever, mysterious or interesting or whatever, and uses those to build up a, a message string, which then is somebody's random fortune. And you can do that. I put a, a, a basic one in the example programs. You can have a look at that uh, and maybe improve, improve it and make your own. It'll be no, no better or worse than other ones, which are all made up anyway. So random power one, why not? So finally, at the end of this chapter, what you have learned with Big Echo. Oh, love it. Now, this chapter has introduced you to the use of Boolean variables uh, and values and show you how to make code that can take decisions. Here are some of the major points. Boolean data has only one of two possible values, true and false. JavaScript contains the keywords true and false that can be used to represent these values in programs. Can you tell I'm reading this? Because, because I can. Okay, so we've got true or false. Um, now, JavaScript can regard values of other types in terms of their truthy or falsy nature. Uh, any numeric value other than zero is regarded as true, and any string other than the empty string is regarded as true as well. The value that represents not, 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 not a number is regarded as very hard to say. Not a number is regarded as false, but the value representing infinity is regarded as true. So that's truthy and falsy. The JavaScript function Boolean can take a variable of any type or a value of any type and convert it into a Boolean value, true or false, according to the ways of truthy and falsy. Uh, programs can create Boolean values by using comparisons, for example, less than, between values of other types. Now, you should be careful when comparing floating point values because they may not be held accurately. Now, 
JavaScript also provides Boolean operators which you can use to combine expressions used as conditions. And um, these can be nested. Um, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, two, two lines at once. Now you can use AND and OR to actually combine Boolean values. We can use an IF condition to uh, select statements based on Boolean expressions. And now these are the things that can be nested. Sorry, I read two lines at once there. Um, and you can use these to control what statements are performed in your program on the basis of Boolean values. Now, JavaScript statements can be enclosed in curly brackets to make blocks of code that can be controlled by a single condition in an if construction, which can also contain an else part, which I should probably mention as well. Now, if you want to, we can place our JavaScript code in a separate file, which is included in the HTML file of the link that is, is there. And finally, we can use this switch thing to make our Java programs a bit simpler by using cases to pick options based on the values in a control variable. So finally we have some questions which you might like to ponder and then I'm going to go and have me tea and quite right too. So the question, can a program test two Boolean variables to see if they are equal? And the answer is yes it can. Equality will do, in fact we've done this in the, in the examples. If you, if you say equals equals between true and false then you get whatever should happen. Can JavaScript regard any value in terms of truthy and falsy? And the answer is yes, it can. Because it, if, it's, if there's something there, it's true. If there's nothing there, it's false. Use it that way and you'll be fine. Question, does every if condition have to have an else part? No. Uh, if you have an else, it will bind to the nearest if, but not all ifs need an else. When I'm doing it, I use curly brackets everywhere and I lay things out using indenting so that I can actually make the program easy to understand when you read it on the page, which is good. Question, is there a limit to how many if conditions you can nest inside each other? No. Now, JavaScript will be quite happy if you put 100 if conditions in a row, although that would be <laughs> really hard to understand. If you find yourself having a program with 100 levels of if nesting, I would suggest you take a step back, think about it for a while, maybe have a hot bath uh, or bath, uh, and uh, think of a different way of doing it because that's going to be horrendous. That, that's, that, that's, you don't need to do that. Um, it, it, there's something not quite right there. So it's, it indicates that your solution may not be the best way to do it. So yes, you can nest, but you shouldn't have to. My programs, I never nest more than three or four uh, generally because uh, I never, I never had to. So question, how long can a block be? How many statements in a block? As many as you like. You could put thousands of lines in JavaScript in a program and then control them with a single condition. But that will be a bit hard to understand because someone looking at the code in the middle of the block wouldn't know the context in which that code runs. Is it controlled by condition or not? So I keep the code controlled by a statement fairly small. And I can do that using things called functions of which more a little bit later in chapter eight. So final question of the day, does the use of Boolean values mean that a program will always do the same thing given the same data inputs? Now, it's very important that given the same inputs, the computer does the same thing each time. We don't want inconsistent uh, behavior. We can get inconsistent behavior by using random numbers, but generally speaking, if the same data goes in, conditions will make sure that the same data comes out again. And the final, final, final question is, will the computer always do the right thing when we write programs and make decisions? And the answer to this question is, frankly, I have no idea. Uh, wouldn't it be great if it just always figured out what the right thing was and then did it? 
Um, but if you have a real-life program, you must make sure that for every combination of inputs based on what your program does with those inputs, the right thing happens. As we've seen with the alarm clock, you can get weirdness going on. You can get things not working quite correctly. Um, so you must be mindful of the fact that when you design your program, you should make sure that everything it does makes sense. And with that, we are at the end of Chapter 5 of Begin to Code with JavaScript by Rob Miles. You can find all the code, the examples, and the rest of these podcasts. Go to beginnocodewithjavascript.com. And I'm going for my tea now. Thank you for listening.